Hi, and welcome to the Scott Manoz podcast. Uh, let me set the scene for you. Now we're we're broadcasting from a chilly Warsaw, Poland, late December 2018. Uh, Manoz's work has brought us here as uh, sort of the logistical um, forward team for a much larger project coming on in July. Um, Warsaw is interesting, but uh, we made the, I'll say, pilgrimage down to Krakow to see the Jewish uh, neighborhoods there. And of course, the visit culminated with our um, going to Auschwitz-Birkenau. And I think for anyone uh, coming face to face with something like a concentration camp of this note. Uh, it takes a long time to unpack it, and I don't think we'll be able to do it just in this podcast. But um, the first thing I want to ask you, Manoz. Yes. Hi, Scott. Is it's interesting to think about someone who has worked on the Holocaust for as long as you have, to come face to face with uh, this memorial, this reality here in Poland. And, um, you know, we'll probably have to, I guess, unpack this in maybe multiple podcasts, but um, maybe some of your initial thoughts. Yeah, um, we will have to unpack this. I'm still thinking about this. Um, you know, I've been teaching the Holocaust for a few years. Uh, and I think, um, you know, I watched so many documentaries, read about it, um, interviewed survivors. Um, but I, I remember the one moment that I thought was the most excruciating one, which is when we were driving to Auschwitz from Krakow and I saw that sign and um, something really weird happened I mean I almost felt um, um, surreal as if it wasn't happening to me and then as we were driving and I knew that there are two different Actually, there's three different ways of getting to Oshanim, Auschwitz, mm -hmm. basically, just how you pronounce it in Poland. But um, <clears throat> I spoke to the driver, and he said that the one that we were on was basically probably the closest to the train tracks. And um, that, to me, just was sort of the beginning of the surreal, surreal mm -hmm. feeling mm -hmm. that I was having. And I took a couple of photographs of trees, and I was not really my memory, but it was memory of people I know that I've talked to that are survivors. Yeah, so that was the first kind of trauma uh, that I felt, and I think I just never got over that. I have to say, of course, you went there as a scholar and I went there as a layman, but uh, each individual who knows anything about the Holocaust goes in there with their own preconceptions and their own individual experience. So I, I'll give you one little thing anecdotally um, I'm kind of a collector, you know, I go to these places and I want some little thing, you know, like a, even a stone 
I remember grabbing a stone when I was a kid, first time I went to Rome, you know, so I could look back on it. And there was plenty of little things at Auschwitz, you know, stones and leaves and this and that. And I can just tell you, uh, and this is like as a human being, I just didn't want anything from Auschwitz. I was there, I was experiencing it, but I didn't want anything in my person that belonged to Auschwitz. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I hope for the listeners that can give you a sense of um, the kind of uh, representation of evil, and I just want to lay it out there, the evil that uh, the camp, um, I think, represents for anybody who's rational in thought. But um, come back to Krakow as a full experience, we did have a interesting um, tour of Oscar Schindler's factory. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it, for both of us, it was it was something we kind of didn't expect. I always get your reflections on that. Yeah, I mean, you moved really fast from Auschwitz to Schindler's factory, but we'll go back. I mean, <coughs> <coughs> um, yeah, Schindler's factory is a place I really wanted to always go to. Um, and of course, teach about Oscar Schindler and what happened in the factory and moving the factory um, and saving, you know, 700 Jews. Um, I thought the, the, the museum was fantastic and I thought it was interesting they did it in the factory. I thought we would learn a little more about what happened precisely in the factory with different characters, but I guess they didn't do that. But um, I think that was, it was a very interesting space mm -hmm. and I thought it was interesting where it was located. So it gave me more of an idea of uh, where they were relocated from Kashmir, which mm -hmm. is the Jewish area, to the ghetto, and then, <coughs> you know, deported from there. And then, uh, I mean, I was also look, looking at the landscape and looking at where things were, and also the railroad tracks, and trying to understand, like, how many people came to those railroad tracks from all over the world, which was yeah. something that was noted well. At um, in the museum at Schindler's uh, factory. Yeah, we. I, I just I'm gonna bop back and forth between Auschwitz and Krakow. Um, for those who haven't been, Auschwitz is sort of is a, you know I, I don't know a camp like I guess any other in a sense. I mean, there's just buildings and uh, places where the prisoners and and also the victims would stay. And the way it's laid out now is that individual barracks represent um, different aspects of the Holocaust. For instance, one would be uh, material um, evidence. evidence of crimes <coughs> and, and things like that. Um, one would be you know, lists and, and photographs of victims. Was there any of those that... Uh, really stuck out in your, I mean all of them I'm sure but anything that stuck out in your mind in terms of the way they displayed it in Auschwitz I think I think for me it was the uh, shoes I mean I've shown those before and I think why the shoes because there's so many in mm -hmm. terms of number but also the kids shoes um, and I just started to hear the stories and um, kind of had to put myself like in there and say, wow, I mean, I know 
they happen. Um, I want to say Auschwitz is not like other camps. It's actually really different because this um, <coughs> is the biggest um, manufacturing of, of murder um, that's ever happened in one place. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people have been killed in different places and not just Jews, but this is sort of technologically the most massive. And the other thing is that it was so organized and um, it shows that, it shows it that. Does, yeah. um, you feel it and you feel how the barracks are organized and you know, um, walking through Arbat Machfrei was also very haunting because um, I've known people who were in the orchestra and playing in the orchestra when people were getting out or going to Birkenau and seeing the train tracks and seeing yeah. where they walked to and so there was a lot of that element. I mean, I think, I think for me, um, it was just unsettling. It wasn't shocking mm -hmm. uh, because of, not because I'm an academic, but because I've been thinking about it for so long, but it was just, un, you know, unsettling. Um, and unsettling because it just makes me think about how we can all do something like that, ordinary people. Uh, one of the, I mean, one of the things that the listeners should know is my, our 11-year-old daughter went with us and she asked me, you know, how, people didn't know about this, did they? And I, I said to her, they did. And it was so hard for me to tell her that. They did, yeah. <coughs> that ordinary people knew about it. Yeah, you know, it, you're talking about <coughs> the uh, shoes, they have got uh, stacks of hair, they've got stacks of shoes, they've got uh, stacks of uh, luggage. And one of the things that hit me I guess maybe because I'm a man, but they had these stacks and stacks of shaving brushes, you know, to put your shaving lotion on. And I thought to myself, what, it, what, what makes us, you know, what, what makes memories of us, these little things, you know, mm -hmm. the people who are gone, but there's still this memory. And I want to say that uh, for people who haven't been, um, Auschwitz is in one part of the town, and then you, it's a, a short drive over to Birkenau, and at least for myself, you know, seeing concentration camps represented on media, etc., Birkenau really brings home that image that you think of with just a barren wasteland of barracks and barbed wire. And um, there was one thing I, I was being really entertained to everybody. I was asking these same questions about uh, to people who had lived in the town through the uh, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, I think a lot of people who when they were kids in the United States, they probably had this experience of visiting places that have been abandoned. You know, I know I did. I had, California was like these hospitals and different places were abandoned. We was already, as kids in there, investigating it. And I was amazed to know that although after the war, people had the presence of mind to say, we have to save this place. Hmm. We're not going to bulldoze this place, but for a generation or more from after the war up in the 70s, people who were kids who lived in that town, you know, they would just, they could just visit the camps. There was no one there. There was no official ticketing or it wasn't like a museum. And I wanted to bring that point up because it's, I'm sure a lot of people just think that Auschwitz and Birkenau just sort of appeared out of nowhere. And, and you know, it's a, it's a museum and it's a monument, but it wasn't that for years. And I think it's because, man, for people there, 
I can only imagine the psychological impact uh, of of what happened and, and how they probably didn't want to face it, you know. Um, but um, thinking towards your new project um, coming up in end of June, July. What do you th now that you've, you've visited? What do you think your priorities are going to be for them? You mean for Auschwitz? yeah, for your Auschwitz? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough. Listen, we're here. We're just trying to sort this out. Like I say, unpack it. It's a tough thing to just um, introduce anyone to. Um, you know, everyone has a different approach to what they think is important about the camp. Um, you know, as a leader, I have to do the right thing and balance things. So I have to think very practically, but also very deep, deeply about the impact it has on non-Jews, um, because I am a non-Jew. Um, but I also have to think about, you know, the sort of sensitivity that the Jewish one will have when we're there and what, how we have to stop and take time and things like that. So I think that's one thing um, that is different. Other than that, I, I mean, I can't really say I learned anything. Mm -hmm. um, well, you instigated an interesting project that I just want to talk about here, and we'll probably, hopefully, have a little more to say in the future, is that um, you noted on the records that there are, was it 46 Muslims who were clearly indicated murdered at Auschwitz, murdered at Auschwitz one. 1. And uh, you've got a lot of people working diligently to try to find their names and try to illuminate who they were in their lives. I think it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I don't know if it's interesting. I think it's, you know, everyone, in a sense, when this is what, you know, Jews say and Muslims say, and even Christians, like if one person is hurt, the world is hurt. So kind of bringing that together, in a sense, so that we can maybe acknowledge each other's pain, but also understand that there were a very tiny minority of Muslims, but they were caught um, in World War II, um, and they were somewhere even in labor camps and were executed. Can I sort of, I want to get into something a little personal. Um, one of the last uh, parts of the camp, it's a, a place where, I mean, there's brutality everywhere. You know, there's people being gassed, but it's known as the murder wall. Where women specifically death were, wall death wall were laid up against it and shot for various reasons, um, and uh, I thought you did something amazing there. You you prayed against the wall. I mean, <laughs> there were people there like looking at you, like, wondering what the hell is going on. But uh, you did a Muslim prayer at the at this wall, and I was just wanted to, as we close in this particular episode, get your thoughts on. What you were thinking at that point? Yeah, I mean the death wall, and there were a lot of prisoners that were that were killed there, um, but there were a lot of rocks there, and I just put a rock in there and just said a prayer of the dead and Islam as we say it. You know, may the souls go back to where they belong, which is really with God. And I said something personal, which was uh, that I feel that we are all human beings and I'm hoping that 
in one little way I can make a difference where we are not fighting, where we can make a difference and understand what racism does and pulls us apart. Yeah, I thought, I was thinking to myself, you know, when we were there, that the, the, the women you interviewed and you met yourself who had survived Auschwitz were, I really felt their spirit was with you, you know, they're, mm -hmm. they're really strong mm -hmm. women. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't stop thinking of Renee Firestone in the swimming pool and I told Rhea the story about her quickly dipping in the pool and how she, w she was shocked that she wasn't shocked, but that all she wanted to do was just take a dip. She was 16 years old. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we will be signing on again soon in Berlin and um, we'll continue this conversation. Thank you for listening. Thank you.